We're going to be turning to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we're going to go through verses 1 through 14. And if I had a title this message, I would title it, uh, The God Who Sees, The God Who Hears, and The God Who Knows Our Sorrows. But he doesn't just see and hear and know our sorrows. He also delivers us from them all. And so in 2018, I had a season of sorrows in my life. Uh, My dad had died, and my family and I faced heavy, heavy trials. And it seemed like all of them came all at once. And it was a very difficult time of oppression for, for me and for my family. And there was definitely a lot of tears, a lot of cries, a lot of prayers lifted up to the Lord, and a lot of sorrowful nights. It was so heavy and so sorrowful that for a season I became anxious and I became depressed. I couldn't sleep. I had horrible anxious nights, sweating profusely. And if you've ever watched the movie It's a Wonderful Life, there's a praying scene in the movie when he's in the barn, he's just stuck he's in a he's in a bad situation and he starts crying and the director said that this was unscripted that this wasn't part of the scene that he wasn't supposed to cry and express that kind of emotion but jimmy stewart who's the main character in the movie he was filming for the first time after coming from world war ii and serving as an airline pilot and He was in 20 combat missions and he lost a lot of men. And he said that when he was filming that scene in particular, he felt the loneliness, the hopelessness of people who had nowhere to turn. And his eyes filled with tears and he broke down sobbing. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's a a beautiful, powerful scene. I think that's that movie is so powerful in so many ways. That's why they show it every Christmas. and, And so that's... If you want to know how anxiety feels, I I want to say that's the best way for me to describe it. That's how it felt for me. I had no appetite. I woke up with a nervous gag reflex every morning. And all I wanted to do was sleep. And I didn't have a desire to wake up to face another day. I had never felt like this before in my life. And as a believer, I couldn't shake it off. I knew the scriptures and I knew to be praying and I was reading but something was happening on the inside of me and I couldn't overcome it. I was filled with so much sadness. I wanted to be home with the Lord. I would listen to the song of Phil Wickham called Heaven's Song. And I wanted to be with the Lord. But I knew that I had to get up and I knew that I had to keep going because I have a family. And I didn't want them to be without a dad. I didn't want my wife to be without a husband. The enemy was putting lies in my head and he was telling me, you know, that I'm worth more dead than I am alive. And I empathize, you know, with so many who battle with depression and anxiety. This unseen mental illness that so many people don't understand. And it's not just the world that goes through it. It's people in the church that go through it. And I'm not sure why the Lord allowed me to experience this. But I know that it made me more empathetic, more understanding to those who do struggle with it. And as a church, I I hope and I pray that we would never look down upon a believer or a non-believer that is struggling with this. And we should try to be understanding, compassionate, and loving, and never shaming those who are hurt. You know, if, if somebody had a broken leg, we wouldn't shame them for having a broken leg. We would empathize that they have a broken leg. 
and we would give them that time to heal and to get better. And I think we need to do the same when we see someone going through this. We need to understand that they're broken on the inside and that they need time to get better. And in 2019, the world changed. And it didn't change for the better. And according to WHO, the Department of World Health Organization, the COVID-19 pandemic triggered 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression, not just in the nation, but the entire world. There was an increase in people feeling lonely. There was an increase in fear. People had financial worries. And these were huge stressors that led to people being anxious and depressed. And if you were in the medical field, it says that exhaustion was a major trigger. And young people, they got everything got taken. No more school, no more fellowship, no more people. And they were asked to do school from a computer and be isolated. And it says that young people and women were hit the worst. And there's a lack of understanding, even in the church, for people going through this. And, and so many parents, they don't understand right now what their children are going through. Their children are moody. Their grades are suffering. They're hurting. And sometimes we want to, you know, discipline them out of it. But if someone is broken, they need help. And it's happening to those that are saved and those that are not saved. And think about those that are not saved. They're going through it alone. And my mom's church recently had a Bible study where there was a question that was asked, can a Christian struggle with anxiety and depression? And to my mom's surprise, the majority of the church or the majority of the students said no. They didn't think a Christian could experience depression and anxiety. And my mom and I were talking and we said, you know, mom, they must have not read Psalms 31, 9 and 10 where David says, I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and my soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. They must have not read 1 Kings 19.4 where it says that Elijah prayed that he might die, that God would take his life. Or if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, there's so many references from Solomon that says, what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? It says their days are labor of labor are filled with pain and grief, and even at night their minds cannot rest. Or we just recently celebrated Good Friday, and in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, if those aren't enough, what about Jesus? When he prayed and he said, I am deeply troubled and distressed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Isaiah said that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. And it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And so many people, they may not understand. You know, the, a lot of the church doesn't understand and says, hey, how can you be going through this? You should be reading, you should be praying. But Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who understands our weakness. It says that he faced the same testings that you do that we do, that I do. And he says, you what? know what? You can come boldly, not ashamed. You can come boldly through the throne of gracious God. And there you will receive what? Condemnation? Guilt? You will receive mercy and grace to help you or help us when we need it most. And Jesus, he felt it. He felt our emotions, but he also carried it. And he understands it and he sees it and he hears what we're going through. He knows what us as a church go through. And he has the power to deliver us and set us free. I love what Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19 says. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed 
will be set free. And that's one thing that we need to know, that if we're going through it, you can be be set free from it. There's power in the name of Jesus over anxiety, over depression. What he did on the cross, he carried it for us. And he had victory on the cross and he said, it is finished. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares and anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And we cannot give up this fight. And we might go through these seasons. But we need to know that if we're believers, we don't go through it alone. We fight spiritually. We fight prayerfully. We fight biblically. We fight from victory and not for victory. And we don't fight alone. For he is with us. And as I was reading my Bible, because I thank God for Pastor Manny encouraging us to read the Bible in a year. If you've never done it, I highly encourage you to do it. It's, it's, at first, it seems like it's too much. But once you start, it's not enough. You want more and you want more. And I remember when I was serving in Awana, one of the kids asked me, because they have a list of all the verses of the Bible, and he said, hey, have you ever read the whole Bible? And I was like, Obadiah, Nahum, I don't even know how to pronounce, Habakkuk. I said, I can't, I can't remember if I've read those. So I started reading through them, and, and I said, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I've never done it. I did it by the grace of God, and I'm doing it again this year through the Chuck Smith Bible, and it has comments on the bottom, and I love it. And I love that time that God has given me to spend with him. And I was reading, and as I was going through this, You know, these verses just jumped out at me. And these words from the Lord just seemed to just impress in my heart. And the words were, I see, I hear, I know. And God was telling me, John, I see what you're going through. I hear your cries when you're praying to me. And I know what you're going through. But John, I can deliver you from what you're going through. And that's what we're going to read as we turn to chapter 3. I'll just give a brief introduction. So uh, Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. The author was Moses, and it was written about 1,450 years before Christ. And the word Exodus simply means exit. And I was joking with Pastor Manny that that back door, man, I really sure wanted to exit and and not do this. And... um, And, you know, at the time, there was only 70 people that came with Jacob. And now 70 people had grown exceedingly and abundantly to about 2 million people. And in chapter 1, the Lord blessed the nation of Israel as he had promised through Abraham. And they multiplied exceedingly. And the Egyptians saw the Israelites as a threat. They began to afflict them and make their lives hard with labor and and bondage and they set taskmasters over them and the children of israel were oppressed heavily oppressed what does it mean to be oppressed look at the definition that i looked up it says to be burdened spiritually or mentally to feel heavily burdened mentally or physically by troubles by adverse conditions and anxiety And the children of Israel, 400 years of this oppression. And I had only been dealing with it for a season. And in spite of all these difficulties and challenges, guess what was happening to the children of Israel? They continued to multiply. They continued to grow. And haven't we seen that in our church? Through COVID, our church has grown. We're serving in the youth ministry And God has brought more servants and God has brought more people and God has brought more families. We don't have enough chairs for the youth. We recently had an event and there was about 55 people that attended the youth event. And so God is doing an amazing work. And and in spite of the oppression, it's beautiful to see that the church is growing. And in chapter 2, God provides divine protection for his people through a special child, and he said, you know what, I'm going to send you a special child. You guys know what his name was? 
Moses. And he said, I'm going to use Moses in a special way to help my people because I see, I hear, I know. And for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was a prince in Egypt. He was a military leader. And Moses, as a young man, he saw what was going on. He saw that an Egyptian was hurting one of his brothers. And you know what Moses did? He took it into his own hands. He said, I'm going to do something about this. And he killed the Egyptian. And Pharaoh found out, and Moses was afraid, and he fled because Pharaoh was trying to kill Moses. And he went far. He didn't just flee a couple of blocks. He went about 300 miles away to a land of Midian. And he spent 40 years in this desert wilderness, tending flock. And during those 40 years, the people of Israel were still hurting. They were still suffering. They were still crying And here God has this person that he wants to use, but he's so far away from where God wants to use him. And we'll start from Exodus uh, 2, 23 to 25. It says, Now it happened in the process of that time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them and God knew it was time to act. And a couple of things we see here. What did the children of Israel do? They groaned because of their bondage. They cried out for help. And what happened when they did that? It says that their cry came up to God because of their bondage. And God heard their groaning. And he remembered his promise, his covenant. And he looked upon the children and he acknowledged them. And that means that he knew it's time to do something. I don't know if you ever groaned or you ever heard somebody groaning. But groaning is described as a deep, mournful sound expressful of pain or grief. It's crying, it's hurting, it's anxiety. It's depression, it's despair, it's hopelessness, it's grief, it's worry. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody cry groaning. I've heard people cry groaning. And it will break your heart to hear it. And I think about God when he hears our groaning. And it breaks his heart to hear it. And they groaned because they were in bondage. They were enslaved to Egypt. And you know one thing, since the pandemic, so many people have been in bondage and enslaved to so many things. Drug use has increased. Smoking and vaping, especially amongst young people, has increased Alcohol. So many people have consumed so much alcohol during COVID. Pornography has increased. And some young people are in bondage to the cell phone, to the computer, to the video games. I did some research and it says that too much screen time or too much time in social media in particular can cause problems with depression and anxiety. It can elevate it and escalate it. And it is said that during the pandemic, kids doubled the screen time from four hours to eight hours. And along with that, the depression doubled. And there's so much groaning. If you have young people, maybe they're going through a tough time. And you're going through a tough time seeing your young person go through it. And there's crying. And God hears those cries. And God is saying it's time to act. And we read in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Moses, he was about 80 years old at this time. He had fleed for his life, and he had spent 40 years in his desert. You think that's too old to be used by God? 80? It wasn't too old for Moses. 
God was going to use him for the next 40 years in a mighty way to deliver his people. And Moses was maybe thinking, you know what, too much time has passed. I've messed up. You know, what can God do in my life? And he was kind of wasting time, not serving, not involved. He was running away from God because he was afraid. And I love when Nick Vujicic says, fear, false evidence appearing real. And he was afraid. I remember going to a leadership conference in Downey in February 2018, and it was titled The God of All Comfort. And when I left the conference, I was afraid to serve God because every speaker up there kept talking about how much they had suffered, how much they had gone through. And the enemy was lying to me and saying, you know what, if you serve, if you you know, serve the Lord, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through very difficult times. And not only that, you're going to be away from your family. And as I was thinking that and contemplating that, the Lord was telling me, son, you're going to suffer with or without serving. That's what life is about. Why don't you go through it with me, holding you through it, helping you through it? And then I said, well, Lord, what about my family? And he said, what makes you think I can't bring your family alongside you to serve with you? And he's done exactly that. For the first time, my wife is serving alongside me in, in the youth ministry, and it's been so beautiful to have her by my side because God uses her in a mighty way, and she helps me in so many ways. My son is serving in Awana, and he loves it. And my daughter is serving and worshiping the Lord. And so I don't know what your fears are or why you're running away and why you're going through these desert times, but God is saying, don't believe those lies. He will be with us. And, and it's, I, I wish we didn't have to go through these desert times. I wish we didn't have to go through it. But he uses it as we're going through it. And if you look, every man of God that God uses, he uses them through the desert first in a deep way. And it's terrible going through the desert. I don't know if you've ever been to a desert, but it's hot and it's difficult. And sometimes it can be very lonely. And that's kind of what I was going through. I felt so sad and I didn't understand, like, God, I feel broken. Why am I going through this? What am I supposed to learn through this, God? And I'm a very emotional person, sometimes to a fault. Like, it's not not a good thing, right? Because you can then be led by your emotions. And God was telling me, don't be led by your emotions. Don't be led by your feelings. Be led by my word. Be led by my spirit. Have faith when you don't feel it. Hold on to my promises. Don't hold on to the pain. Don't look at the problem. Look at me. And Moses, he was perhaps the most respected man in Egypt when he was in his first 40 years. Now he was the most rejected man in Egypt. But you know what's awesome? Is that when you go through the pit, God will give you a pulpit. When you go through the pain... There's a purpose for that pain. And there's a plan of why you went through that pain. Daryl Strawberry, I don't know if you guys know who that is. You guys know who that is? If you guys like the Dodgers, if not, you're not a true Dodger fan. <laughs> but, um, you know, Daryl Strawberry, he was a, a Dodger and he went through a very difficult time. But now if you look at him, look him up, God is using him in a powerful way. And, you know, this was his quote. He said, I'm glad for my fall because if I had not fallen, I would have made more money, but I would have never have met Jesus. He had two failed marriages. He was hooked on drugs and alcohol. He went to jail. He went bankrupt. And he had a mess of his life. But God made a message of his life. 
And Strawberry credited his mom because he said, my mom, she never refused to pray for me in spite of how many times I messed up. And his mom died of cancer. And he says that one day he was looking under her bed and he found a prayer journal. And guess what she wrote? She wrote, God, knock him off his throne. Whatever you have to do, save him. And that's what God did. And Horeb, what, is, what does Horeb mean? It's, it means the mountain of God. And it comes from a Hebrew term meaning desert. And this is the same mountain. Another name for it can be Mount Sinai where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's the same mountain where Elijah fled when he was afraid of Jezebel and God spoke to him not in the wind, not in the earthquake or fire, but in a gentle whisper, in a still small voice. And isn't that so cool that when you think you're running away from God, sometimes you're running right to the mountain of God and he's going to speak to you. And that's what was happening here. He was running because he was hurting. And God was like, I know you're hurting. Now watch what I'm going to do. And look at what happens in verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, from the midst of a bush. So he looked. Moses looked now. He wasn't paying attention before. And behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. He saw something different. And Moses said, Now I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. He wasn't paying attention his first 40 years. But now he said, I'm going to look and see. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, now I have his attention. God called to him from the midst of the bush and he said, not hey you, he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. If you recently, you know, Turn to Channel 7. I think every Passover week they show this movie by Cecil DeMille. Beautiful movie. If you've never seen it, if you've only seen The Prince of Egypt, you're missing out because this is a beautiful movie by Charlton Heston. And here it says that the angel of the Lord, angel, the Greek word for angel means messenger. And this angel of the Lord was none other than Jesus. And so many times we think Jesus is just in the New Testament. Jesus is all over the Bible. And here he is in the time, the desert time where Moses feels alone, where he's made so many mistakes. And now he's in front of him, the pre-incarnate Christ. And he's calling him. And look at what Moses did. He said he looked and he turned finally to see. And when he did that, it says that the Lord turned aside to look and now he called him by name. Why don't we hear from the Lord sometimes? Because we're too busy. We're too busy. We're not going to hear him audibly. We're going to hear him scripturally. But so many times we're too busy to read his word. So many times we're too busy to pray and we're going through such difficult times and we're saying, why, Lord, I can't hear you, Lord. Desert times, Lord. It's then that we really need to hear from him more and really be in the word. But that's how we are. We're like the nation of Israel. Everything goes great. Oh, I don't need the Lord. Everything gets hard. I need you, Lord. And the Moses, he was going through these desert times and now... He was listening. And think about what drew us closest to God. Some of us, we have testimonies of why we came to the Lord because we were going through those desert times and we were looking to God and it drew us closer to God. In the fire we seek, we look, we listen, we pay attention. We have eyes to see and ears to hear when all the distractions are gone. And the same was true of Moses. And, you know, my mom and I, we've been praying for a family member of ours. We love this family member so much. And I know my mom is praying like Daryl Strawberry's mom. Lord, do whatever you need to do to save him. And recently when I was just going through my day, it was a Monday, I was off. I got a call that the place where this love uh, family member was, 
was burning down and that there was an explosion and things were happening all around and there was great fire everywhere. And I was so worried because I was calling my loved one and they would not answer. And what happened came out in the news that in Lancaster, the whole UPS hub burned down. Every truck burned down. All your packages, sorry if they were late, they they burned down. And this rocked my brother's world. Well, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, brother. <laughs> uh, but you know, it 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 changed everything. And I'm sure he was wondering, Lord, why the fire? Lord, why did this happen? Lord, why am I having to drive an hour away now to do my job? Whatever you need to do, Lord, save him. Because sometimes people don't listen unless there's a fire. In verse 5 it says, Then he said, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Think about that. God in his presence. And, you know, removing the sandals, that was kind of like an act of reverence. You know, Moses used to stand before Pharaoh, and I'm sure he showed reverence to Pharaoh. You know, if you're an officer, I'm sure you show reverence to your commanding officer. But now greater than Pharaoh was here in his presence. And what do we do, especially as men, when we're, you know, ashamed or afraid? We don't make that eye contact. We look away, and Moses was looking away. He was in awe. He was afraid, man, this is God talking to me. This is a special place. This is, I don't know if you ever felt the presence of God. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. If you've never have, man, you're missing out on just a beautiful time of fellowship with the Lord. It's beautiful. You can feel the presence, the holiness of God. And I love what he says. He said, I am the God of your fathers. I am. And what did Moses do? He looked away. Remember in Luke uh, chapter 5, Peter, he said, Lord, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Isaiah chapter 6, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something about God's holiness when we're in front of it. And verse 7 says, and the Lord said, and this is what stood out to me when I was going through this. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Man, these words jumped out at me as I was spending time with the Lord. And I said, wow, Lord, that at this time of my life, this would be what I'm reading and that you would say these things to me. I know I see and I hear what you're going through. You know, God was personally speaking to me. He was personally appearing to Moses. He was personally speaking to me as I was opening up my word. And he said, I see the oppression. And what does it mean to be oppressed? It means to be burdened spiritually or mentally, to weigh, be weighed heavily, to be burdened mentally or physically by troubles, adverse conditions, and anxiety. The Strong's for the word anxious means to worry, to be divided, to be distracted, to be drawn in opposite directions, to go to pieces, to be pulled apart. And that's what happens when you become anxious. You come apart. You're broken in pieces. And the Israelites, think about it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone through that. I've only gone through a season of it. Imagine going through 400 years of it. And God sees, you know, and, and whether it's a season or years, He sees, He sees the oppression. He sees the tears. He was there when I was going through those sorrowful nights. He was there when I was crying and praying to Him. 
And most of us, you know, we have times where we're alone with the Lord and we're mourning and we're grieving and we're crying over loved ones, over bondage that they're in or that we're in. And these verses just jumped out at me. God is so personal. I see, I hear, I know. But then he said, but also remember, John, that I can deliver. And that's what it says in verse 8. It says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and anything else that has a knights. So, you know, God was saying, I don't just see, I don't just hear. I know and I'm here to deliver. And it's the same thing that he says to us. And, you know, God literally did this for us. It says here that I'll bring you to a new land. He literally did that for us and our family. He brought us to a new land of somewhere that we had lived for 15 years. And it was a miracle that he brought us to that land. No other than God doing it. And he brought us to some pretty cool neighbors too. Some that I got to pray for a little bit. <laughs> and he brought us, you know, my, my children to a new school when they needed it most. When we were going through the most difficult seasons of our life. In verse 9 it says, And behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Here it is again. And I have also seen the oppression which, which the Egyptians oppressed them. So these cries, they were coming to him. He was seeing it. They weren't just going through it. He can hear. And you know what? God can hear when we're crying. Psalm 56, 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I was crying so much that, you know, I'm a weirdo. And I said, well, you know what, Lord? Chuck Smith said that, you know, back in the days... People used to collect their tears in a bottle. I started collecting my tears in a bottle, and it filled up quick. I was crying so much, and my wife looked at it and said, Yuck, what is that? Throw that thing away. And she, I said, Those are my tears. You know, what are you doing? But my tears were not wasted, and your tears are not wasted because they make it up to God. And, you know, he sees the oppression. He sees the things. And you know what? Some of the biggest oppressors right now is our jobs. It's school. Think about what our youth have been going through in school. Did you have to go through school through a computer? No, we were outside. We played. We drove our teachers crazy. Now we're driving our moms and dads crazy at home. And it's stressful. And our youth are going through anxiety and depression and the enemy is just has an open door to go in there and bother them. And when things are difficult and we desperately need the Lord, we cry out to God and we pray and we must continue to pray. And I know I've talked to people that say, man, when I'm depressed and I'm crying, I don't feel like praying. But remember, we don't, are not led by feelings. We are led by his word, by his spirit. We're led in faith. We must pray. Psalm 126 says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And when we're crying out to the Lord, we're planting seeds. I have a, a, a close family friend. You know, my wife and I, we pray every Monday, but I met someone that prays every day. And I said, wow, it's amazing. Just think about just think about farming. If I plant once a week, but someone plants every day, who's going to receive the greater harvest? And we need to be praying. And sometimes as we're praying, you know, we're saying, Lord, how long? How long? How come, Lord? It doesn't change year after year, Lord Father. My situation doesn't change. Well, you know what? Sometimes God wants our prayers to change. Sometimes God wants our hearts to change. Sometimes he's saying, man, you're not just praying, asking me for what you want. You're praying so I can tell you what I want from this situation, from your life. And right now I want to change your prayers. 
You know, Paul, what did he say over and over again in 2 Corinthians? He said three different times, I begged the Lord, take it away, Lord, take it away. And each time he said what? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So you know what Paul said? I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. I take pleasures in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ because when I am weak, then I am strong. We mustn't be ashamed if you're going through a season of depression and anxiety. Because if you're weak, then you're giving God an opportunity to be strong in your life. And He doesn't just see, He doesn't just hear, He doesn't just know. He sends a deliverer. And look now what He does. Verse 10. Come now, Moses, you who feel unqualified, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses is old. He's afraid. He went from prince to shepherd and to Egyptians. A shepherd was the lowest thing you can be. He was a broken vessel and maybe he was feeling like, God, me? I'm a failure, Lord. I struggle, Lord. And he said, yes, I'm going to use you. Because look at what he says in 11. He says, Moses said to God, who am I, God? that I should go out to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses looked at himself and he said, man, you got the wrong person, Lord. I can't do it. I'm afraid. I'm still going through it, Lord. How can I help? This is a daunting task. And you might be feeling the same way. God may be calling you to say, you know what? I want to use you. Yeah, but Lord, I've heard. Lord, I've gone through this. Exactly. Watch me work in you. Watch me use you. Who am I? Broken. And I felt that way. I felt, Lord, who am I, Lord? How are you going to use me? And when I was going through it, surprisingly, I felt God calling me as I was going through it. I felt broken. I didn't have joy. I was sad. I was crying. And I felt that God was saying, yes. I'm calling you. And one of the areas that he was calling me in and he kept impressing me was with the youth. He's like, I want you to serve in the youth. And I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want to serve with teens. I already have two of my own. And he said, no, son, I want to use you. And I was trying to ignore it. Like Moses, I was trying to run away from it. But I was seeing everything that was going on in the schools and with the young people. And I said, Lord, okay, Lord. I will go. And God is calling servants here. And maybe there's things that you see. Pastor Manny's always saying, how many ministries can we open? If you see something, say something, send something. And you see, right? I see. I see so much here. And I say, Lord, there's an opportunity, Lord. You think that only people in the world have increased in the depression and anxiety? People in the church have increased in depression and anxiety. And all over the schools, I see wellness centers being built up and counseling and therapy. I'm like, Lord, where is this in our church? Where are we to help? It says that the church is a hospital for sinners. Does this church have a mental health section? And, you know, if you see the need, we got to help, right? And some of us, we feel that we're broken. We have a broken home. We have a broken marriage. And you know what Nick Vujicic said? God can use you more if you come from a broken home, from a broken marriage. Because you can relate to people. And verse 12, you know, this is one of the encouraging things that we got to know is when Moses said, you know, who am I? Look at what God said. Don't worry about who you are. Worry about who I am, and I'm going to be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's why we can do it. That's why we can serve. That's why God can use us. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And it didn't matter that he was going to face Pharaoh and the task was going to be a difficult fight. But he said, don't worry about Pharaoh. You look at me. You look at what I'm going to do. Don't worry about depression or anxiety. I'm greater than that. I'm greater than Pharaoh. And yeah, it's going to come against you. But you watch how I come against it. And 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, Seems like now God is convincing him. Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, Okay, Lord, I will go. But who do I say sent me? What is his name? What should I call? What should I say to them? So he's complying. He's kind of saying, All right, Lord, I'll do it. But I need to know your name. And one thing I love about Carlos, he shares in the back, he's sharing right now, he always tells the youth, don't just know the name, know the person. So many people know the name of Jesus, but they don't know the person of Jesus. And we got to know the person. We got to get to know him. And it takes time, right? If you have a friend, it takes time to get to know that friend. You can know the name of the friend, but you got to know the person. And in conclusion, verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Y-H-W-H. How do you pronounce that? Nobody knows but Moses. He was the only one there face to face with him. But some people think it's Yahweh. And that's the name, I am. It's Yahweh. It's Jehovah. It's I am. It's the eternal one. It's the name of the God of Israel. And it literally means the becoming one. And this God that we serve, this God that is calling you, if you don't know him, he's telling us, I want to become whatever you need in life. And I can become whatever you need in life. What do you need? You need a friend? I am. You need a doctor? I am. Therapist? You need a father? You need a helper? You need a counselor? And most importantly, we need a deliverer? I am. And I've seen God become this in my family. You know, like I said, in 2018, my dad died. So that means that my mom was left a widow. And for the first time, she didn't have her husband. And if you're married, appreciate your spouse. Because think about them not being there. And as she was grieving, my brother had a baby. His name is Isaac. You'll see him walking around in church. And my mom said, you know what? God sent me this toddler because my mom wasn't retired when I had my children, so she wasn't able to take care of them. This is the first grandchild she's ever taken care of. And she said, he's been so therapeutic to me. That I am, in a sense, became a child to help her. And there's a, a teenager that I know that was going through a difficult time. And you know, what's man's best friend? A dog. And you think that's silly, Lord, <laughs> you know. But you, you find a good dog, man, and you will see that that is a gift from God. And this dog, faithful dog, was sent at the perfect time for this special person. And you want to know how personal God is? This dog shares one day apart in birthday from this person. And you want to know even more? This dog specializes in what this person is going through. And this same person was crying out for a car, and I don't know if you ever needed a car, man. It's a can be nerve-wracking and anxious, especially right now. The prices are crazy. And this God delivered a car personally. And you know what was so personal? That when we, 
we looked at this person's car and we said, oh my goodness, it had the initials of the person's name on it. And not only that, we looked closer and it had the last two digits of the person's cell phone on it. And then we're like, man, that's just weird. And we looked and it was like the Lord was focusing even more. And he said, look at the month of the license plate, the month of that person's birthday. And you know, God will be whatever you need. I was in Oceanside and uh, we were on spring break last week and we were going through our vacation time. And I don't know if you ever do this. Don't do this. Learn from me. I checked an email from work. And it was a stressful email. And that email was causing me to be anxious and it was robbing me of my time with my family. And I was up in the fifth floor overlooking the ocean. Everything was beautiful, but I couldn't stop thinking about this email. And this servant came up and he was just like, hey man, look how beautiful, like trying to take my mind. Maybe he can see what I was going through. He kept bringing me water. Uh, we ordered ceviche. It was amazing. I'm hungry already. And these tacos. And and he kept talking to me, just telling me how beautiful Oceanside is and just kind of taking my focus off of what I was going through. And the more I talked to him, the more I forgot about the email. And it was really hot. Remember when it was like 100 degrees here two weeks ago? It was hot up there. And you know what? He acknowledged that it was hot. He acknowledged that the season that we're in right now is difficult. And when I looked at his name, I said, no, God. Guess what his name was? Jesus. <laughs> his name was Jesus. <laughs> and you might laugh and you might think that's a coincidence, but it wasn't a coincidence to me because that's what I needed at that time. And God was there serving me through this person and helping me to forget about what I was going through, through this person. And that's what God will do to us when we hurt. He is the great I am. He will become what we need. And then just last four things, it's four ways to overcome depression. I wanted to share this with you because I heard this from Nick Vujicic, who was going through depression, who who almost took his life at the age of 12. And you know what he said? He had no arms and no legs, so you can imagine what he was going through in school. He said, number one, be thankful for what you have. Number two, take it one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Number three, talk to someone. Counselors, church, pastor, friend, a family member. And number four, be a miracle for someone else. When you're hurting, you think, how can I help? As you help, it helps you. And God starts to work.